CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Donald Trump is gutting the web of life in the name of profits. And I would remind you that we are part, you know, humans, we are animals on this planet. We are part of the web of life. The Endangered Species Act was signed by Richard Nixon in 1973. It's been one of the most successful defenses of the great web of life in the history of American legislation. It has prevented extinction, this from the Center for Biological Diversity, it has prevented extinction for 99% of species under its protection. It has accomplished a 90% recovery rate for more than 100 species throughout the United States. As the Center for Biological Diversity notes, the act has allowed the designation of millions of acres of critical habitat crucial to species survival and recovery. And that's exactly, in my opinion, that's exactly why Donald Trump and why his billionaire developer drilling and mining buddies want to gut the Endangered Species Act. Louise and I, you know, we, we were on this cruise to Alaska a couple of weeks ago, which is going to be hard to beat. Next year, we're going to Bermuda if you'd like to hang out. The information's up at the top of our website. But in any case, we went to Alaska a couple of weeks ago, and we saw well over 100 bald eagles. I mean, they're all over the place. I think it was Ketchikan. They said we call them Ketchikan pigeons. But the bald eagles were actually on the brink of extinction in 1973. And the reason why was DDT. DDT, in addition to killing insects, when birds are exposed to it, it causes them not to form strong eggshell. And so the birds would lay eggs, and the eggs would just break open. And the chicks, of course, would die. I mean, they weren't even chicks at that point. It would just become scrambled eggs in the nest. And... So the bottom line is that, you know, by banning DDT through the Endangered Species Act, the bald eagles came back, the symbol of America, right? And Donald Trump wants to gut this. I mean, you know, he's got a coal lobbyist in charge of the EPA. So, yeah, let's do away with environmental regulations. He's got an oil lobbyist in charge of the Interior Department, which is in charge of all of our federal lands. And they are already selling off federal lands, you know, on pennies on the dollar just like during the Reagan administration, James Watt did. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And these guys are just like pfft, endangered species. I mean, biodiversity is the foundation on which all life depends. It provides our water. It provides our food. It provides our shelters, our health. It's the air we breathe, the nutrients we take in, the soil that our food is grown in. And now with Trump's attack on the Endangered Species Act, the web of life is in more danger than it's ever been, all in the name of more profits for Trump's billionaire buddies and the donors who give money to him. You know, he was at the, on the Hamptons with the uh, Soul Cycle and Equinox guy, Steve Ross, a couple of days ago, uh, you know, this billionaire throwing a big fundraiser for him. And people who are members of these health clubs are going, really? My money's going to support Donald Trump? But, you know... I don't know. Maybe it opens up a competitive opportunity, but I'm not real optimistic about it. You know, what Trump and his corporatists don't, I wouldn't say they don't understand, I'd say they don't care about, is the biological diversity is nature's capital 
You know, our banking system and our economic system, the capital of that is not just our money, it's our infrastructure, it's our, it's our regulatory system, it's all the stuff that makes capitalism work. Just like the capital of the National Football League is the NFL rules and the teams and the stadiums and the fields on which people play. Well, the capital of the natural world, and once again, we are animals, we are part of this natural world, the capital of the natural world is biodiversity. And Trump is trying to destroy that. And that is not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. August 12th, 2019, this is from the graphic up at the top of Democratic Underground right now. They're quoting S&P Global, which is a news organization that talks about power. Wind and solar generation surged over 100 gigawatts. Now, you know, a light bulb might be 100 watts, right? 100 watt light bulb, 60 watt light bulb, kind of standard light bulbs. And nowadays, you can get the same amount of light out of an LED bulb that only consumes eight or nine watts. But still, 100 watt light bulb, that's 100 watts. 1,000 watts is one kilowatt. A million watts is one megawatt. A billion watts, 1,000 million watts, is one gigawatt. That's a billion watts. Okay? Just think about that in terms of that nine watts for a light bulb. Wind and solar generation surged over 100 gigawatts across Europe over the weekend. Wind and solar. Driving hourly prices into negative territory. In other words, the power companies are paying you to consume electricity. In Germany, Denmark, and Belgium. The Saturday peak load power settled at a minus... 2.77 euros per megawatt hour. That's mind-boggling. They're paying you 2.7 euros, about three bucks US, to consume a million watts of power, which is a mind-boggling amount of power, but still, that's incredible. Alex Lawson will be with us and talking about Social Security and the latest attempts by the Trump administration to and, and the Republican Party. I mean, this has been going on since 1935. The Republican Party has always tried to destroy Social Security. And of course, you know what's going on with uh, Medicare is that starting next year, anybody who becomes Medicare eligible will no longer be able to buy insurance to fill in that 20% gap on Medicare Part B which means that everybody's going to move over to privatized Medicare, uh, so-called Medicare Advantage, where you can get screwed by your insurance company, unlike Medicare. But I want to start out with who is tearing our country apart and why. I don't know if you saw the news. They arrested this uh, teenager, he, 18 years old, in Ohio. His name is Justin Olson. He had 10,000 rounds of ammunition, a vault full of assault-style weapons. How does an 18-year-old accumulate this stuff without mom and dad knowing? Shotguns, assault weapons, and he called himself Army of Christ. He praised Tim McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing. He praised mass shootings. He praised attacks on Planned Parenthood. The attacks on Planned Parenthood, by the way, by these white supremacists, these people who want white people to continue to hold all the power to be supreme in this country, and these white nationalists, uh, people who assert that America was intended and therefore should continue to be a nation of, by, and for white people. Their opposition to Planned Parenthood has very little to do with religion. It's that they don't want white women getting abortions because the, or for that matter, even birth control, because as they said, as they were marching in Charlottesville, you will not replace us, right? You being people who are not white. So then Ken Cuccinelli comes out. Ken Cuccinelli was this, he's a failed politician. And so, of course, Trump picked him up and put him in charge of the Customs and Immigration Service and the USCIS. He says that Emma Lazarus's poem, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That was just referring to white people from Europe. And interestingly, I went and looked on uh, Wikipedia this morning, and sure enough, it said white people from Europe or people from Europe. That has since been removed. There is no evidence that it said that. Now, Emma Lazarus was Jewish and had visited all these Jewish refugees into the United States in the 1880s, and that probably inspired the poem. But this is not, this is not what America means at least anymore. I mean, you could argue that it meant that at its founding, 
that it was a country of by and for white people, at least in the South. But in the North, people who weren't white were fully citizens. In many states, they had voting rights, people, people of color, people, you know, and a variety of them. Um, so, well, here's what Cuccinelli had to say. Here, here he is. Of course, that poem was referring back to people coming from Europe. Right, right. This, it's just referring to people coming from Europe. You know, the last part of the poem, the poem ends with, this country's greatness and true genius lies in its diversity. But Cuccinelli is overseeing a policy now where, you know, it's called the, the public charge doctrine. This actually was put into law in 1888 and uh, was updated in 1916, actually. What it said was that it was, you know, that anybody who is a, quote, con convict, lunatic, idiot, or a person unable to take care of himself or herself without becoming a public charge could not be allowed into the United States. This was 1882, excuse me. But the, the simple reality is that basically it was used to deny entrance to people who were profoundly mentally retarded, as it was described back in the day, I suppose, or who were severely physically disabled or mentally disabled. And, you know, we can look back on that and say, well, I was pretty damn bigoted too. But the simple reality is it was almost never applied. It was an obscure law. But the sad reality is that it's a law that's still on the books. And Cuccinelli now wants to update it to make it harder and harder for people to legally come to this country if they can't, quote, stand on their own two feet which used to be a phrase, you know, literally meaning people who weren't crippled, who weren't injured, who weren't, you know, whatever, disabled, I guess would be the, the modern word. Crippled would be the word from the 19th century, which is where this phrase presumably came from. But he's now applying it to economics. People who are not rich are not welcome in the United States. There's that old saying, you know, behind every great fortune is a great crime. I'm totally down with that. I mean, do we really want more white-collar criminals coming into the United States? Is that really the Trump? Well, you got a white-collar criminal in the White House. Uh, Cuccinelli has been an enabler of white-collar cr criminals from his time in, in Virginia to today. Um, Cuccinelli, another one of the great abortion foes, one wonders if he was also opposed to abortion because, in fact, he was the you know, Mr. Ultrasound, right? You know, before you get the, uh, the, the abortion, you've, you've got to basically be raped with an ultrasound wand uh, a few days in advance, and then again. And uh, was he doing this because he was trying to discourage white women from getting abortions? Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Meanwhile, the Dow is collapsing. And... You know, there's, there's some, some stuff here that we actually seriously need to be paying attention to with regard to the Dow. Because the yield curve inverted. I, you know, I've been talking about this. I've been sharing this with you now for, what, a month? I mean, we've talked about inverted yield curves many times over the years. But basically, the bond market runs everything. There is basically nothing without the bond market. Because, you know, this is, you know, government. Uh, you've got government bonds and you've got corporate bonds and municipal bonds and state bonds and all that kind of stuff. But really, it's the sovereign bonds, the, the bonds issued by actual governments that, that really define everything. And as of this week, all Swiss bonds went into negative territory, including 30-year-out bonds. Now, why would anybody buy a 30-year investment that pays them back less money than they put in? Well, part of it is that a lot of these bond traders are betting uh, the long-term bond buyers of Swiss bonds are betting that the Swiss currency, the Swiss franc, is going to go up in value more than the bonds are going to fail to pay you back. Which is also a scary sign, because that means that people are betting that everything around the Swiss currency is going to collapse. And, you know, it's starting to look like that's happening. And really, the big point that I want to make here is that when central banks start manipulating bonds, which is what they've been doing with these quantitative easing purchases, you know, our Fed is sitting, I believe it's sitting on around $3 trillion worth of assets right now on its balance sheet. It was, it was as high as $17 trillion back in 2007, 2008. Could be wrong. It's been 
six months since I looked, but I think they're probably still sitting on $3 trillion worth of assets. And what that does is it distorts the marketplace. And when you distort a marketplace, then the people who are participating in that marketplace, their assumptions about where risk is are wrong. Now, the European Central Bank just announced that they're going to continue buying bonds. By the way, so why are people buying ECB bonds, you know, the Eurozone bonds, Euro bonds, that might be heading toward negative interest rates? Well, they're just front-running the ECB's purchases. They're assuming that as the ECB buys them, the price of these bonds is going to go up, even if the yields suck. And in fact, the price of bonds are going up as yields go down, or at least bond funds. And the other thing I think is that everybody in the investment world is, is, completely gets it that the entire system is in a bubble. It's in a bubble, and it has been since 2000, well, I'd, I'd say it's been since the late 90s. And in large part because of the deregulation of the banks. I mean, right now, the big banks are sitting on $550 trillion, with a T, worth of derivatives based on bond yields. Now, when the market seized up in 2008, the big banks were sitting on $50 trillion worth of derivatives, bond derivatives. Just in the last couple of years, emerging markets, these are you know, countries that are very much at risk of collapse, have borrowed over $3 trillion in debt, most of it denominated in U.S. dollars. So, I mean, everywhere you look, what you're seeing is this giant bubble being created by central banks around the world, including the Fed, that is desperately trying to hold the economy together, while the economy has been badly deformed ever since the beginning of Reaganomics, by a collapse in aggregate demand, that is to say wages. Demand is what drives marketplaces, right? People buying things is what causes people to make things to, for people to buy. And people can only buy things if they have money in their pocket, and people don't have money in their pocket anymore. Uh, the Federal Reserve just came out with this. It's the Z1, flow of funds, financial accounts. Every, and every three years they do their household survey. They just did this new data series called Distributive Financial Accounts. And what they found, here's the bottom line, is that basically since 1989, since Reaganomics really sunk in until 2018, the top 1% increased their net wealth by $21 trillion, and the bottom 50% saw their net worth drop by $900 billion, almost a trillion. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So when the bottom 50% net worth goes down, so does their purchasing power. So does aggregate demand. And that's why the economy is so weak. It's got nothing to do with interest rates. Hey, there's a meteor shower this week, and you know, the, the Persids, I think it's called. And uh, you know, sometimes you want to get up in the middle of the night and go out and watch the meteor shower, but most of the time, most of us would like to sleep really deep and really well all night long. And one of the keys to that is the temperature of your bed. And there's only one bed out there right now that, and it just came out of the market, it's called the Pod by Eight Sleep, that actually senses your temperature and adjusts its own temperature dynamically throughout the night, up and down and up and down, whatever, whatever it knows you need. This is mind-boggling. Not only that, uh, not only do you get better sleep, but it also tracks your biometrics so you, can, you, know, you don't need to wear anything. I mean, you're, you're in your bed, right? And uh, they have personalized programs and coaching, sleep coaching, uh, to help you with true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod. This extraordinary new bed for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash Tom. They've already sold out their first two batches. They're going fast. For a limited time, get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. Let's check in with Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works, the owner and host uh, uh, and producer at uh, We Act Radio in Washington, D.C., our affiliate there. Uh, SocialSecurityWorks.org is the website. You can tweet him at ALaw202. Alex, welcome back. Hey, Tom. 
And today is uh, Social Security's birthday, Alex. Uh, what are the uh, biggest challenges that Social Security is facing right now? Uh, Republicans and Wall Street. Um, no, in the other order, Wall Street and Republicans. Because Wall Street's but been trying to privatize Social Security forever. They, they want to have those trillions of dollars in their pockets, right? Yeah, they just can't keep their greedy little hands uh, off of Social Security. You know, the, the thing is, they look at Social Security uh, and they see 99 cents of every dollar that goes into the system comes back to us in benefits, less than 1% in administrative costs for the whole program. Uh, and they see that as a missed opportunity. You know, they would uh, slap on another 25, 30% uh, administrative fee. They couldn't provide what Social Security does, but even for any sort of retirement uh, product that they sell to people, you know, you're talking 20% fees on it so they can afford their yachts. So they hate Social Security because it works so well at what it's supposed to do, which is provide economic security. And for 84 years, it's been doing that through boom and bust, through wartime and peace. Social Security has never missed a single payment. It's the rock that people can count on to build their retirement security. So it's Social Security's birthday today, and we, uh, we always celebrate it by saying happy birthday and talking a little bit about how Wall Street can keep their greedy little hands off of it. So what is the latest attack on Social Security coming out of the Republican Party? So actually, Tom, the, the, this is brand new, and you and your audience are some of the few folks who can like, sort of understand this. They've come at it just uh, a frontal attack. They try to cut your benefits. Um, we've been able to fend them off on that pretty decently. So then they come at it, they try to flank it, a death by a thousand cuts on the administrative side through appropriations and right, starving it of money and resources. And we've done a decent job of explaining that to people and then fighting back against that. Now their latest tack, which is very dangerous, is they're actually going directly after the workforce. Um, this guy who is in line to be the deputy commissioner of Social Security, uh, David Black, which everybody should call their senator and tell them, put a hold, if they're a Democrat, put a hold on this guy. Do not confirm this guy. What he's doing is he's busting the unions that represent the workforce that the system is built on, both the administrative law judges and the frontline workers, but also the back-of-the-house workers, the people who run the 800 number um, and all of that, to really create a uncertain and unfair working environment for these workers. Again, it's that death by a thousand cuts. If they're going to take away the most capable people um, from the system, and as you know, Tom, this isn't just Social Security. I mean, if you have a Medicare question, which is an incredibly complex system, um, you're also going into a Social Security office. Right. Um, so busting the union and, and demoralizing the workforce to try to just shatter them and actually push people to retirement and then not replace them is the tactic that they're rolling out right now. And it's, it's extremely dangerous because it's a pretty nuanced attack. You know, I, you almost I, I mean, have to hand it to them. Yeah, I'm guessing that their plan is something like this. And we've been seeing this for over a decade now where Republican budgets have less and less money for Social Security employees. And, and so their strategy is, OK, if we can cut the workforce, the Social Security workforce, back to the point where the average person, when they try to talk to somebody at Social Security, ends up on hold for two hours or has to wait three weeks to get a response to a written inquiry, those people are going to start saying, screw this. I'd rather have my money with a bank where I'm, I know I'm going to get instant results and I can walk into a branch. That's exactly right. Or, you know, um some people think it's a bit of a violent image, but I think it is what they're doing at a macro level. They kneecap the mailman and then they complain that the mail is late so that they can be like, oh, yeah, I actually happen to have a cousin over here who runs a private mail service. That's privatization 101. Right. I think we should rename privatization because that doesn't sound nearly as robbing as it actually is. Right. It should just be right. called like looting or profitization. Yeah, which is which is really what it is. It's profitization. We're talking with Alex Lawson, SocialSecurityWorks.org. Um, the last time we talked, we talked about how starting 
next year, starting in 2020, if you become Medicare eligible, if you turn 65 next year, you will no longer be able to buy, and this was a rider that was put on a budget bill back in 2015 by a Republican, you will no longer be able to buy insurance that fills in that 20% gap that Medicare doesn't cover, which is going to cause most people or a lot of people to say, uh, well, you know, if I've got a 20% copay on everything except hospital expenses, then uh, screw that. I'm going to go with the privatized plan. I'm going to go with so-called Medicare Advantage, not realizing that Medicare Advantage is entirely privatized. If you go out of network, then, you know, you get all these huge expenses or they refuse to pay or, you know, they may even cut you off. I mean, the, you just don't have the protections that you have with Social Security. Your um, care can get denied. That's the part that I think people just don't get that about Medicare Advantage, that in Medicare Advantage, it's just private insurance. So you can go in and they can just say no, just like a private insurer can. Yep. Fundamentally undermining the guaranteed provision of Medicare. Right. Um, and then because these are the same sociopathic, uh, greed-driven companies, they're wrongful denials. You know, when the inspector general, the OIG report on Medicare Advantage denials found that north of 70% of the denials were wrong, but people didn't know that they could contest them, mm -hmm. and so they didn't. And that's the exact tactic that insurers use right now, right? They make it so hard to actually get the care that you need, that you some, that people, that tons of people basically give up because right. they're like, I don't feel like dealing with this bureaucratic maze uh, four hours on the phone for some prior authorization, something, something. And then they end up in stage four, <laughs> I mean, you know, before anything is even diagnosed. So, so, Alex, has there been any effort, any movement by Democrats to reverse this, this Republican plan or this Republican law now? I mean, it's actually, this is law, that starting next year, you won't be able to buy an insurance plan that will fill in that 20% hole. So I think, you know, what I am looking at is bigger than that. There are um, efforts around Medigap and Social Security Works. We're leading some efforts to actually hold Medicare Advantage accountable as well. And there's some movement in the Senate on that. But, you know, this is why we need to actually just look at the whole system and say no deductibles, no co-pays, no out-of-pocket. Yeah, just radically uh, simplify to, the whole thing. Yeah. Medicare for all, improve Medicare for all. First, we improve it. We fix all the things that are wrong with Medicare. We cover vision, dental, hearing. We cover long-term care. We get rid of the gap, no donut hole, no out-of-pocket costs on prescription drugs. And then we expand it uh, to everybody. And in that system, everyone can see whatever doctor they need to, whatever provider they need to. Uh, and the only losers in that system are insurers and, you know, big insurance and big pharma. Right. But, but big insurance and big pharma are literally, I mean, according to Bernie, they made $100 billion in profits last year. And, and they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars of that buying politicians, uh, you know, holding, holding, you know, keeping control, their absolute control of the Republican Party and buying as many Democrats as they can. And now they're going to be buying all kinds of advertising on the airwaves and weighing in very, very heavily in the elections because these guys are looking at, at uh, you know, $100 billion in profits going up in smoke. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things is they also, they're, either directly own the media or they own it by proxy of look at what ads are run right. on television on corporate media it's all pharmaceutical ads right so we're like, one of only two companies in the world that allows that us in new zealand that's it every other country in the world says pharmaceuticals cannot be advertised on television and it used to be that way here yeah which obviously is good for the public health as well right. uh, but it's just it, it is a corrupt system but i do have this faith um, that the system is so rotten and the people are so sick and tired of these greedy bureaucrats and big pharma and big insurance just literally robbing us of our wealth and our health uh, right. and too often people's lives that, you know, we're going to stand together and demand a big structural change and just join the rest of the world with a system that provides health care. And then flip back to Social Security for the 84th birthday. We've talked about this as well. You know, John Larson, Representative John Larson from Connecticut, he's not a huge progressive guy. He's, you know, pretty establishment Democrat. 
He's pushing a bill. It's got 211 co-sponsors on it, 211 sponsors, including himself, to expand Social Security. That's only seven votes, seven members shy of passing the House. We've had a full Ways and Means hearing on it. Like, we have changed the conversation around these issues. Uh, Obviously, we could pass it out of the House. It's not like McConnell's going to do anything with this in the Senate. But it will let people know who's on whose side. The Democrats are pushing to expand Social Security. The Republicans are pushing to destroy Social Security. Right. And it's, been, uh, and it's really always been that way. That. I mean, you know, Social Security was a program. This is Franklin Roosevelt's program. Medicare was LBJ's program. These are programs that Democrats came up with. Democrats put into law over loud opposition of Republicans. Republicans have fought them forever. And, and uh, Alex, would it be accurate to say that the bottom line here is that If you want to save Social Security and Medicare, don't you dare vote for any Republican at any level anywhere, because even if you're voting for a Republican for school board or city council, that's a stepping stone to a legislative position where they might be able to mess with Social Security or Medicare. And that is what they do. They dance to the tune that Wall Street calls, and that tune is destroy Social Security and Medicare because they work. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know the banks and the insurance companies want want our money, as you point out, with Medicare Advantage. If you have Medicare Advantage, you are at risk. The insurance companies can screw you, and they frequently do. Alex Lawson with SocialSecurityWorks.org, a law two o two on Twitter. Alex, thank you. Thanks, Tom. You know, whether you use an office chair at home, in your home office, whether you use it as a, even as a, you know, just a comfortable chair in your living room, or whether you use it at work, you really want your chair to be comfortable, right? And the X chair is the most comfortable out there, speaking from personal experience here. And thanks to the X chair's 38 no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, you have no risk if you want to just try it for yourself. Once you feel the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, they call it DVL, you'll understand why I love my X-Chair so much. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you from the X1 Basic, the the X-Basic, the X1 through the X4. The X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. And the X-Chair is now on sale for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com. Or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you get a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com. Tim in Lowell, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? I applied for Total Security in 2012, and it was a very simple pragmatic situation it, it took no time at all i was amazed at how efficient it was my wife turned 62 on june 5th and i called to set that up the nightmare i went through for two days being hung up on misinformed you know <laughs> unbelievable stuff oh, so they've cut their they've stuff. cut their staff probably well i don't know the percentage but they the social security staffing has been radically cut in the last 30 years Right, and this this isn't the exception. It's the rule now. That's right. It, it, we, I had to make an appointment two months in advance to come in and apply for Social Security. This didn't exist just ten years ago. Yeah, it's scary stuff. And and what's what's happening is a lot of the, the information I get from some of the people I talk to. It can be exemplified by people coming in with improper information, not listening to what they're saying. It's important when you talk to somebody to make an appointment. Make sure you have everything written down. Who you talk to, the proper information, because it's. it's going to help expedite the system. Now, how many people do you think went through this? Thousands? Tens of thousands? Millions. It's a perfect example of what the Republicans are going to utilize to try to privatize Social Security. Absolutely. 10,000 people a day are retiring right now as the boomers are aging out. And and, uh, probably 9,000 people a day are starting to tell nasty stories about Social Security to the children and grandchildren who are then going to be uh, more malleable when the Republicans come along and say, you know, government can't do things right. We really need to take this out of the hands of the Social Security Administration and put it in the hands of Jamie Dimon over at J.P. Morgan Chase. 
And it's scary stuff, Tom. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you. No, uh, I'm. I'm. And, and I'm our, our, you know, it's funny. Our appointment is tomorrow at eleven o'clock. I think I'll follow up and let you know down the road what happened. Cool. You know, it's scary. My wife has multiple sclerosis, and I, I'm. In, I, I try to get some information on whether that had anything to do with Social Security. So the guy gave me some information, and then they sent me a letter saying that I had turned down the claim for SSI, and I said, I don't even know what that is. So you see what I mean? Wow. This is scary stuff. Yeah, Social Security Disability Insurance. Yeah, she should be right. eligible yeah, I know for I, it. I have the information yeah. now, but I'm thinking, all they told me to do is bring in the proper information, which I have in my, literally in my lap right now, and, and I said, look, I will be more than happy to do that, and you can inform me whether she's eligible for it. And then they sent me a, a letter saying she's been denied when I never even applied for it. That's insane. Yeah, this it's is insane, this is you know? yeah yeah it re it really is and it's and it's not the fault of the people working in Social Security they are they no, are they're, slammed they're, they are absolutely screaming overwhelmed they're slammed exactly yeah so Tom this is important if you can impart that on some of your websites and stuff make sure people understand what they need to do yeah no I got it, I got it Tim and I and and you said it very well Tim thank you for the call. Just a quick heads up, this just breaking over at Mediaite and other places, a new poll commissioned by The Economist magazine, the solid conservative Economist magazine conducted by YouGov, shows that Elizabeth Warren is now in a dead heat, a statistical dead heat with Joe Biden. He's at 21 percent. She's at 20 percent. Bernie Sanders is at 16 percent. This seems to me to be pretty good news for progressives. We'll see how this all shakes out. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Uh, his website is pocan.house.gov. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So uh, you're back in the district, and the House is on recess or homework time or whatever. And, you know, what's up? What's up with you and Congress in general? And then we'll just throw ourselves right into the questions here for the callers. Sure. What I'm hearing a lot back home parallels a lot what we're talking about in Washington right now, you know, concern over guns, clearly, and not just the two big shootings, but the same week, there are a couple other shootings, including in my home state of Wisconsin, up in Eau Claire, where a couple households uh, were shot and killed by a gun. That issue, people wondering whether or not we can get something done around that. And then, you know, the perennial impeachment question has come up a lot as I'm meeting with groups and seeing people wondering, you know, exactly what's happening and, and how we're proceeding. But, you know, lots of concern. I, I think the number one thing I hear wherever I go is, how can you stand it out there? How can you tolerate it? And uh, it's everywhere, every single place. And that comes from, you know, all walks of lives, all political uh, leanings. People just know that Washington right now is clearly broken with Donald Trump as president. Amazing. Amazing. So let's pick up some phone calls here. Stephen in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're on the air of the Congressman Pocan. Yes, thank you, Tom and Mark Pocan, Congressman. I was curious as to the connections between Bill Barr and Epstein. And now that he's come back to help be a cleaner for the Republican Party again, like he has been over his history and has connections with the Epstein family personally. Are we going to let this guy be in control of all of the documents and, and records that Epstein had kept over the years and let him decide again on how we're going to see part of it and protect Trump on the other half of it? Yes, Stephen, I think you bring up a great point. And I think one thing we've learned is we don't trust Barr as Attorney General. He, the very first action he did was prevent a false summary of the Mueller report. And ever since then, he's done nothing to improve his reputation. So when it comes to an issue like this, you know, he has, through his department, a lot of oversight over the federal prisons. And in many ways, you could say this happened under his watch. So I'm not sure if we're going to let the fox guard the hen house, so to speak. And I think that's what may be happening. I think you'll look for additional actions when Congress comes back in September to make sure that we're getting all the information we need to. Raul in El Paso, Texas. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hello, Congressman. Thank you so much, Tom, for your work, and I'm very excited to talk to the Congressman. First of all, I just want to tell you about just how terrible I feel and my fellow El Pasoans feel about what happened to our community just recently with the killing of these 22 El Pasoans. I just spent some time with the niece of a friend of mine. She's a niece, and her aunt was shot two times there, and her uh, uncle was murdered there at, uh, at the Walmart here in El Paso. It's my opinion that Donald Trump brought death to our community with one of his detonated racist white supremacists who came to our community to kill Mexicans. 
I grew up in that neighborhood from the time I was in uh, eighth grade through college, and it's unbelievable. One of the guys that was interviewed here in El Paso by one of the major media said that now El Paso is part of the American experience. Just think of how sad that is right. to, to say. And so to the congressman, because we have to change. Our country's broken. It's in crisis, and it's nothing new. And people like Tom have been writing about it and talking about it for a long time, and Amy Goodman and the good people there at Free Speech TV. Uh, thank goodness for them. I have a proposal that I call Occupy Congress, which would call for doubling the size of Congress by drafting 535 citizens to sit in Congress for one term, just one congressperson for each representative that we have there, see along with this congressman who would have gotten elected. In our community, it's interesting, had that happened, we'd probably have a Mexican-American, you know, by the name of Rodriguez in Congress, and what we had at the beginning with Beto O'Rourke. He's a friend of mine. He's a good liberal. But it's Raul, you've been talking you know, for three minutes here. Let's let the congressman get a word in. Thank you very much. Congressman? Sure. Raul, I, I hear you. I mean, I think that's a pretty heavy lift to see Congress make that change right now. So, you know, I don't want anyone to think that that's going to be an easy task. I do know what you're trying to do. You want to diversify Congress so you don't have a bunch of people who are beholden to special interests for decades. The majority of Congress are millionaires. That's not representative of democracy. And I think we have to do that through the elections. You right now in El Paso have a great member of Congress. Uh, in fact, this morning I was texting with Veronica Escobar, who I think has done an amazing job, especially as a freshman member. I thought she was right to push back at the president when he came down for a photo op in El Paso, because I do think his words very much created the situation that happened there. And that's the pushback we need to do. Let's try Matthew in Hillsborough, Oregon. Hey, Matthew, what's up? Hello, Congressman Pocan. Most countries require a reason to own a handgun and don't permit handguns for home defense. I'd like to see the U.S. head the same way. Can you call for banning handguns for home defense and join countries like Germany, France, the U.K., and Canada? Well, I think the issues we've been focusing on right now, because one is can we get something through Congress? And I think we really can around background checks, getting rid of the loopholes. But two, I would argue, Matthew, it's the ban on assault weapons that we previously had in this country, trying to restore that because that's the weapon that's being used to kill so many people. That is where our focus should really be. And I don't even know if, if this majority of the House of Representatives will be able to take that up. I think there's 195 or so sponsors of that bill. But that's clearly the weapon that's being used so often in that magazines and other issues are what creates this mass carnage that we need to deal with. So I think first, let's get background checks and some of that to, to avoid red flag laws, to avoid some of the access issues that we currently have. But then let's go after the weapon that's causing the mass destruction. I think if we focus on those two, we're going to at least cover most of the concerns, I think, that are out there. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Marta, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Congressman Pocan, for all you do. My question is... Is the Progressive Caucus ready, like Bernie Sanders has said, that we need to take concrete action to withdraw financial support from Israel as they flaunt the Geneva Conventions by means of the Rapid Land Acquisition Settlement Project, human rights violations, including shooting nonviolent protesters and the illegal occupation uh, and blockade of Gaza, etc.? Yeah, I think you've seen more criticism than ever of the Netanyahu government and their actions in Israel, which we think has made the situation more volatile there and has put more pressure on the Palestinians. And it's come that pressure has come from the Progressive Caucus. Uh, we're the ones who actually uh, just, I spoke on the floor, I believe it was the week or the, the two weeks before we, we left for the recess, on this very issue with my concerns that we have. Uh, the ever-expanding illegal settlements are going to make it harder to ever get to a two-state solution. The fact that the response to a child throwing a rock is often a bullet is an over-response. The fact that they have highways with walls down the middle, that one side is for Israelis and one side is for Palestinians, is not a good idea and does not bode well for their future, and on and on and on, taking children into military court, uh, etc. There's a lot we need to pressure our friends, and Israel has been a friend of the United States, but the Netanyahu government has taken a very different tack. In fact, they have said that they support a one-state solution. That's a similar position that Hamas has. I think that's very much the wrong direction. And again, most of the criticism that's been out there, and it's often hard to criticize Israel because people... Uh, say you're an anti-Semite, would really, you're just offering valid criticism based on human rights records and, and what's going to be best for the region. You're seeing that come from the Progressive Caucus, so we have been leading on that. 
Camaro in Dayton, Ohio. Boy, a call from El Paso and a call from Dayton. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, well, I've just got two questions for the congressman. First of all, what is the Democratic Party doing to make sure the voting rights, those people removed by the interstate cross-check program, what are you doing to restore their voting rights? And the other is, why are the Democrats supporting the white supremacist policies against Venezuela that have been implemented? Okay, Congressman, we, we give people one question, so pick one and answer it. Yeah, I'm telling you, the first one I probably know the best because thanks to listening to the listeners on this show, we actually introduced the first bill ever to deal with the purges through the interstate cross-check, and that was part of H.R. 1, the Comprehensive Campaign Finance Elections and Ethics Reform Bill that was passed with every single vote of the Democrats in Congress. Marie in Cortland, New York. Marie, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tom. I'm Thank wondering you, if... Congress can do anything or has done anything to confront the Trump administration's paring down of NEPA, of the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Water Act, all these key environmental legislative things that were accomplished in the 70s that are just being gutted right now. Yeah, you know, it's not only you're going to have members of Congress, but more importantly, I think you're going to have a lot of the lawsuits from the outside groups. That seems to be some of the more effective ways to stop the immediate implementation of some of these things. And we're going to be working in concert. I assume there'll be some amicuses uh, filed with members of Congress on this as well. But clearly, this is one of the things he waited till we left. He put this out there. And uh, it makes no sense to do. This is just Donald Trump being Donald Trump appealing to the most narrow special interest. And uh, there's not a public good out of the ideas that he's put forward. Yeah. Congressman, uh, in the last minute that we have here, what are the things that uh, people, particularly now that Congress is out of session, that people should or could be doing to move things forward? What should we be keeping our eye on? Yeah, so the very best thing we can do, I think we might have lost video, and I apologize, Tom, it might be because I live in a rural area, is to get a hold of your members of Congress. They should all be home during August, and in many cases, the first week of September. They should have public appearances, and this is your chance to get in front of them and advocate for the legislation you care about. So we strongly recommend people take advantage of that. How about promoting uh, rural broadband? <laughs> yeah, I, Administration. I a bipartisan rural broadband caucus three Democratic, three Republican co-chairs. We recently got it about a year ago where I live. I live in a rural town of 830-some people, the town of Vermont, Wisconsin. But we need it for a whole lot of people, and you just saw what happened. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for being with us today, Congressman. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. Great talking with you. We'll be back. And happy Everybody's yelling happy birthday. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it. Thank you. You know, whether you're working out a lot or you work physically for a living or you do, like sometimes for me, just, just typing for hours causes pain um, or it's just, you know, getting creaky as, as we all get older. Uh, one of the most potent pain relievers and anti-inflammatory agents out there is CBD oil. And Louise and I have recently discovered the powerful health benefits of this uh, using New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. CBD oil doesn't get you high. Uh, so you get the health benefits of cannabinoids without getting you know the mind-altering effects, and it's non-toxic and and like I said, it's a pain relief. It has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand that Louise and I use and trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. It's NU Leaf Naturals, the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown right here in the USA. The only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's NUleafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleaf, newleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. So the, uh, the Dow is only down 651 points right now. It was uh, over 700 points a, a short while ago. People are wondering what's going on. What's going on is that... Um, in 1982, Ronald Reagan stopped enforcing the laws against corporate monopolies. In 1983, he stopped enforcing or he changed the law so that corporations could buy back their own shares. And, and then somewhere there in the 80s, he changed the law that said that you couldn't compensate 
executives with stock, with stock options. And so what has happened is that companies that used to invest in product, they used to invest in research and development, they used to build products, they used to come up with ideas, they used to design and manufacture things. Companies that used to do that have stopped doing that. The number of companies listed on the, uh, on the various stock exchanges in the United States, the, the Dow, the NYSEA, whatnot, is half of what it was when Reagan came into office. Half the public companies in America have vanished. Now, it's not that they completely went away. It's that they got bought up by other companies. And so the way that companies grow now, in, now, that, now that we're experiencing neoliberal economics, now in this new era, this Reaganomics era that we have been living in since 1981, the way that companies grow now is by buying other companies. They don't really grow anymore, these big companies. And, and uh, you know, there's been a whole bunch of consequences to this. The main ones have been uh, their impact on labor. Wages go down as companies get larger. As companies dominate industries, wages go down. Competition goes down. When you've got only four companies controlling the airline industry, two companies are responsible for 90% of the beer sold in the United States. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And, and what you have now is basically monopoly everywhere you look. Every major industry monopolized. Radio, TV, I mean, you, f you fill in the blank, you know, whatever it may be. And the result of that is that you don't have competition anymore because you don't have competition. Companies raise their prices. It's obscenely expensive to fly on airplanes now. It didn't used to be. Um, it's, uh, it, I, I, you know, you go through the list of portions get smaller if prices don't go up. Um, you know, Walmart wouldn't have been possible if Reagan hadn't changed the law, or at least Walmart's current business model, which is predatory and, and cancer-like. You know, you, Walmart comes into the community, they wipe out 120 companies on average, small businesses. And the result of this is that, you know, small employers who typically pay well and offer benefits and do so in part because the owner has to, you know, be living in the same town with the, with the employees. And, and be a good citizen and be a good steward and be a, a reasonable person. Big companies don't have to worry about this. And, and corporate CEOs, the other thing, the other big change was, you know, pre-Reagan, corporate CEOs were accountable to their community. They were accountable to their customers. They were accountable to their, to their company. And they were accountable to their shareholders. And now, under this new interpretation that came along with Reaganomics, uh, CEOs are only accountable to their shareholders. So their only interest is in jacking up the, share, the price of the, of the stock because that increases profits for shareholders. So, you know, we've gone from, from companies, the average markup, the, the difference between cost, what a product costs to make and what it sells for. The average markup in the 1980s was under 10%. The average markup right now is over 70% across all industries. Companies are massively more profitable than ever before because there's no competition. And then because there's no competition, there's also no competition for employees. So they're no longer paying people. They don't need to tolerate unions. Since Reaganomics went into effect, the top 1% has gained $21 trillion in wealth. And working and middle class people in the United States have lost a trillion dollars in wealth, $900 billion. This is pure and simple, the result of Reaganomics. And now as the world is coming unraveled, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more right after the break, but now as the world is coming unraveled, the central banks are trying to step in, and it ain't working. First of all, the Department of Labor, the Trump Department of Labor, the Republican Trump Department of Labor is promulgating new rules to let government contractors fire workers who are LGBTQ, who are pregnant and unmarried, right? Yeah, I do get this. If you are pregnant and not married, you're and you work for a government employer, a government contractor, you used to have some protections under federal law. Now you can be fired if you're gay, if lesbian, trans, whatever it may be. You may be fired because of religious objections of your employers. 
This is taxpayer-funded discrimination in the name of religion, is uh, what Ms. Overall says over on uh, DU, and I agree. But anyhow, I was talking about uh, about the economy, and and this is a dimension of it. You know, why is it that we have such anti, such worker-hostile laws in the United States, or or a worker-hostile reality? In France, CEOs make on average 15 times what their lowest paid employee makes. In Germany, CEOs make on average 12 times what their lowest paid employee makes. In the United States, when Ronald Reagan came into office, it was around 30 to 1. And right now, it's in the neighborhood of 4 to 500 times to 1. CEOs right now, are, they've had a 940% pay increase since Ronald Reagan became president. Whereas workers since Ronald Reagan became president have seen their wages go up 12%. The cost of living hasn't gone up 12%, though. The cost of health insurance has gone up massively. The cost of food has gone up. The cost of housing has gone up. The cost of pretty much everything has gone up. And we wonder why the middle class is being wiped out. Well, where did all this come from? This all came from this neoliberal economic policy that was promoted by Reagan and put into place by Reagan and has not been pushed back. You know, we've had two Democratic presidents. Neither one of them have had a large enough majority in the House and Senate of Democrats to do anything about this. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened in the United States. You had Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft, and, and World War I was kind of an anomaly, so it's, it's kind of hard to fit Woodrow Wilson into the, into the mold. But basically, you know, from 1901 until you know, 19, what, 16, 18, something like that, 1920. You had, no, until the, until the beginning of World War I, anyway, 1916. Um, you had an attempt to control the robber barons, you know, through the antitrust laws. And then in, in, uh, in 1920, you got William, Har you know, William Harding, uh, the, running for president, saying, we're going to drop that top tax rate of 91% down to 25%. And I think increasingly Americans are now looking at the economy and going, holy crap, we, we have been, you know, we've been ripped off by Reaganomics. Ronald Reagan started this scam and a lot of us bought into it. And the media is still selling it, by the way. Even the so-called progressive media. And here we are. And now you've got central banks trying to hold things together, doing something that they literally never did. I mean, we got our central bank in 1913 in the United States, the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank. They have never pushed interest rates this low, except in a serious recession or a depression. And we are in neither officially. But, you know, they're dropping interest rates. Why? Donald Trump wants them to. This, this is absolutely bizarre. I did want to tell you about one thing that's super cool that I'm going to be doing here in, in a week or so, Saturday, August 24th and Sunday, August 25th at the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, Oregon. I am going to be the old-timey radio announcer, the old-timey radio announcer for This Land Sings by uh, Grammy Award-winning composer Michael Doherty. On the line with us right now is Justin Rawls, the artistic co-director with Nicholas Meyer of the Opera Theater of Oregon. OperaTheaterOregon.com is the website for more information on this. Justin, welcome to the program. Great and, to be here. So tell me about this thing we're doing on August 24th and 25th. Well, the name of the production is This Land Sings, Songs of Wandering Love and Protest Inspired by the Life and Times of Woody Guthrie. And what do you know it? His times are back with us again. How so? Well, I, I think that the Depression era, you've been talking about the economy, and I happen to agree with you. I think we're in for a time of crisis, and this was a time during his life where music and activism really created the social cohesion and bonding that we need as a community. Yeah, I think this is going to be fascinating. So what's going to be happening at this performance? Well, it's a suite of pieces for singers in a seven-piece orchestra with new arrangements of folk songs which inspired Guthrie, with commentary by a New Deal-inspired radio announcer. And I can't think of anyone better than you. I'm so happy you're doing this. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So if people want to know more about it, albertarosetheater.com is the website. I had that right, right? Yeah, no. that's right. And 
if I may, you know, just to give people kind of a little preview, some of the pieces that are going to be getting this new treatment are the labor song, Bread and Roses, sung by a lovely local soprano, Hannah Penn, arrangements of Wayfaring Stranger, the gospel folk song, Going to Walk That Lonesome Valley. There's a really interesting piece called Hot Air, which lampoons your nemesis, Tom, the right-wing radio host. And, you know, Guthrie... He said that the job of the artist is to root out fascism in all its forms and kill it. And I think that music, metaphorically, may act to kill the fascist and re-inspire our compassion and humanity. And there's a piece on the program called This Trombone Kills Fascists, and uh, it's not to be missed. Wow. Fascism, not fascists. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let us make that uh, distinguish that. And your website is operatheateroregon.com, too. And that's, I'm guessing that's, that's website. That's correct. Okay. Justin, great talking to you. Thanks so much, Tom. Looking forward to doing yep. this. See you next week. Thank you so much. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is former Congressman Bob Ney, author of Sideswiped. Congressman, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. What's in the news, in your opinion? I did want to comment. I love listening when I'm able to call in and, and listen, you know, to the show. I just want to say something. Ohio State University tuition was $9,718 last year as an average, okay, for the tuition. When I attended Ohio State University, it was $1,000 a year. And at that time, I was making three ninety an hour. Right. I would have to be making $30 an hour to have the same equal ability to pay that tuition. Basically, Reagan screwed the economy. And over these years, CEOs' salaries have gone up over 900%, and working-class salaries have actually gone down. The household income has gone up about 10%, but that's because now you have 2.6 people working in a household. It used to be about 1.3, as I recall. And right. so wages have actually gone down, but cost, cost of college hasn't gone down, the cost of housing hasn't gone down, the cost of food hasn't gone down, the cost of medicine sure as hell hasn't gone down. You know, so, yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. I did want to mention Cuccinelli, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, we all know now he has made a joke of uh, the poem written, you know, by Malazus on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And we all know how he has said that, give me your tired, your poor, uh, your huddled masses, uh, which should say yearning to breathe free. And then he says, you know, uh, that can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. And he's right. head of of, uh, you know, citizenship. And I wanted to mention something that you, you, you won't see anywhere. You and I have talked about this over four months ago. You won't hear it anywhere else. And what it is, is the fact that they are already doing this, in a sense. Now, this is, there's six lawsuits going to be filed on this immigration rule that uh, President Trump is trying to do, where, you know, you're going to be judged by your ability to have income to come into America in legal immigration. Legal. Mm-hmm. They're already doing it, however, and this I, I can prove what I'm saying, but what they do now, if you are a student in India, obviously a country where it's not you know, rich um, uh, white people, you know, but a country of brown people, and, if, and I mention that for a reason, because I think they are targeting these countries. If you go to India and you get an approved form, let's say from any American college, from Ohio State University, and you walk into the embassy with your approval, and they will sit there and they will ask you these questions and one of them they will ask you is this how are you going to repay your loan when you return to india that is a standard question asked now of indian students Hmm. and unless you can on the spot prove how you can repay that they are denying most of the applications to come to school here so they're already doing some type of litmus test even on students trying to come to america Wow. You know, one of the things we know, Bob, you know, the, the famous old cliche behind every great fortune is a great crime. CEOs are far more likely to be sociopaths than the average population. Wealthy people are more likely to be sociopathic than working people. Sure. And so basically what Trump is saying is, uh, you know, send us your rich sociopaths. We'd love to populate America with them. Yes, and what they will do is they will apply these standards. If the administration wins these court battles, they will apply these standards that Cuccinelli is trying to you know, put into effect. They will apply them at every single embassy around the world. No one will know it. They will just be able to sit there and say, this one goes and that one goes. Right. And if you even are close, 
they will put you through a process that would take you years to get here. So that's the method behind the madness of what they're trying to put out there. And also, speaking of foreign issues, there's another one that's absolutely baffling, but uh, Speaker Pelosi has put it right out front that if the United Kingdom wants a trade deal with America, then, which, by the way, has to go through the House and Senate, but if they want that trade deal, if they violate what's called the Good Friday Agreement, which was made, you know, way back when, in 1998, that created a seamless border between Ireland and England. Right. And, of course, that was the Between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Peace. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Ireland and Northern Ireland. And that was the terms of the agreement that, you know, created the peace agreement. Right. And uh, so what Speaker Pelosi is saying is in, in, uh, in reaction, actually, to some statements that were made by John Bolton. And John Bolton has made statements that, you know, telling the, the conservative new government to just do as you please with this. Right. And so she's making those statements. If you do as you please, and this is not in there, then she's going to reject a deal. for trade. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to see the war between Ireland and Northern Ireland uh, well, reignited. John May. Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. Yes. You're right, Bob. Yes. There's not, never been a war that John Bolton didn't love. Correct. Bob Nag, great talking with you, Bob. Thanks so much. Thank you. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 